1: Vad är den bästa Karlsson? Karlsson, Karlsson. här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Karlsson skulle göra så bra som mig. Karlsson,
0: Karlsson. Karlsson score. Karlsson. Yeah. Carlsson. Welcome, everybody, to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by one guy who is ahead in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, another guy who's ahead in the Cuckupful Tier 1 playoff pool, so I think we know what we're talking about. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me, of course, is my co-host and very good friend, Brian Com as
2: we all know, the only fair measure of intelligence is how well you're doing in a playoff pool. They're meant to have a, they're known to have very repeatable and valid results. So yes, we take full credit for being the geniuses who are genius enough to be winning playoff pools. Go us.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, it's a fantasy hockey podcast, and I don't think people want to hear us go through our whole regular season resumes. I guess (laughs) we can one day if someone thinks that'll be an interesting episode, but uh, this is our most recent success and I'm pretty proud of it. Brian, I, I've drafted, live the last two rounds of the kkpp people heard me struggle with my picks and now uh dallas went ahead made it to the finals i said on that show a quote saying i will only win if dallas makes it and now it's looking pretty good i'm up by like 12 points over ricard he has eight people left i have six uh i think it's going to be enough because hudobin doesn't let in many goals so tampa's not going to score enough goals for his tyler johnsons and his alex killorns and yenni gourds or whoever he picked at the bottom of tampa to do anything for him
2: Yeah, and he's heavy on Tampa, but you have the heaviest on Tampa. You have Nikita Kucherov. So if Tampa is scoring goals, then in all likelihood, his six or five or four depth players aren't necessarily going to make up the ground that Nikita Kucherov keeps creating between you and him. So congratulations. I'm not trying to jinx this at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we could probably just do a whole episode roasting Ricard and Andreas (laughs) and Vegard for their picks. But I guess we can move on. We've got a really fun show for everyone today. Here's the plan. First of all, I recorded an interview yesterday with Chip Alexander, beat writer for the Carolina Hurricanes, all about the Carolina Hurricanes. Another installment, Brian, in our beat writer series. We've been on pause for a little bit, but we're back. It was such a great interview. People are really going to like it. So I think the plan is uh, we're going to put that in the episode. First, Brian and I are going to chat a little bit about what's gone on in the past week. Then we're going to end the show with this great interview with Chip Alexander. And I think you guys are really going to like what we got for you this week. Me too. All right, so before we get to that, of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the freaking world. I don't know, they just never stopped. There was a global pandemic, like, like whatever. was Hockey wasn't even on for a couple of months, and they kept on putting out articles. Now there's been hockey, you know, playoff hockey. We've got articles every day, like, really, like, timely stuff. You know, which players have lost value in the playoffs, like, for fantasy for next season, who's gained value, like, the, you know, rambles every day about the latest news. So it's really great. you got to check it out, dobberhockey.com. And one article that I checked out recently... Was a fantasy impact article by Cam Robinson breaking down the Eric Stahl for Marcus Johansson trade. So, Brian, why don't we start there by just reading what Cam wrote? No, I'm just kidding. You could go ahead and read that on Dabber Hockey, but we could also talk about it. So, out of nowhere, a one for one deal Eric Stahl goes to Buffalo for Marcus Johansson. And I guess we should talk about it. I guess there's like two things always with these types of trades. Like First, we want to just talk about for fun, who won the trade, like who was smart, who was dumb. And then afterwards, the thing I care about most, which is, you know, which fan, which players in hockey are affected either positively or negatively for their fantasy value for next year. But let's just start with the trade itself. Brian, I know you feel very strongly that one side of the trade got a steal.
2: Well, I don't know if it's a steal. It's just like a, a big... Uh, mind F to try and understand exactly what Minnesota was hoping to accomplish by dealing away the only player capable on their roster of being a number one or even number two center uh, in dealing Eric Stahl for Marcus Johansson, who is a downgrade in seemingly every single way. Uh, except that he's not 36 years old, so I guess he's got that going for him. He's no spring chicken either, though. He's uh, 29, turning 30 before long, and uh, it's really strange that Minnesota would say, okay, we, we have one center left, let's get rid of him, and then ask Marcus Johansson to come in and assumptively play center, even though he's had the most success in his career playing the wing and has been underwhelming in the center position that he's been asked to play in Buffalo. And I think he played it for a little bit in New Jersey as well. So uh, it just, I I just don't understand what's in it for Minnesota. Oh, and they also took on uh, more salary. Yeah. Like a million dollars. Yeah. But like, for one it's, year. It's still something.
0: It's something, yeah, sure. It's not as, yeah, if you were going to say, oh, they probably did it for a salary dump reason, no, it was actually the opposite. Uh, Brian, I want to just challenge one thing. Like, where did you hear that the presumptive idea is that he's going to play center? I guess you're just assuming that because you don't see a lot of depth in center on Minnesota?
2: Yeah, I, I guess uh, you're putting me on the spot here. I thought I saw a quote somewhere that the expectation in acquiring Johansson was that he was going to play center, but I might have had that, uh, maybe I've, I've missed. Uh, categorize that as being conjecture uh so you can easily fact check me on that i'm sure
0: yeah well I, the way I see it is there's like a, still a lot to happen, right? Like uh, We've been hearing about Matt Dumba being someone that Minnesota might be trying to trade over the summer, so potentially maybe they trade Dumba for a center. All of a sudden, you've got a center. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would be willing to trade a center f- to, for a hopeful top-four defenseman like Matt Dumba. They also recently traded for Nick Bjugstad. They sent a pick over to the Penguins. I don't know if the plan is for him to play center. And they also do have a couple young players who you would hope, in the best case that eventually, maybe next year, right, Joel Erickson-Eck, Luke Kunin are centers. So theoretically, they could bring Marcus Johansson in, he could play wing. So I just, I just don't want to say like, when we have this discussion, let's just not only assume that the idea is to play Johansson at center, because we did here, we did our Buffalo interview, right, with Joe Yurden. And he specifically said that Johansson sucked at center, he couldn't win faceoffs. But aside from that, My understanding is he's a good player. Like, I understand Eric Stahl's had more points over the past few seasons, but Marcus Johansson's always been like a solid top six guy. Uh, Maybe you could speak to his like Corsi and stuff like that in terms of if he's good at defensive player or controlling play or puck possession or anything like that. Uh, But he seems like a solid player. The, The way I see it, you know, he's a little younger. Maybe they're worried that Eric Stahl is going to fall off a cliff soon. So I don't know. I don't think it's the worst idea for Minnesota. I actually had a really interesting discussion with Chip Alexander. So I don't want to give too much away, Brian. But we looked back at the Nino Niederreiter for Victor Rask trade. And Chip had some interesting thoughts on that like a couple years out. So you know, maybe these Minnesota trades that look bad at the time maybe turn out not to be as bad. It might be the kind of thing where we have to wait and see. But uh Anyway, uh, those are those are my thoughts. Like,
2: yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would say, like, Victor Rask has amounted to nothing. So uh, the fact that Carolina got more than nothing, I haven't heard your interview yet, but they got more than nothing means that uh, I think we can reasonably evaluate that trade. And Victor Rask, if he was a center that could be center, maybe this would make more sense. Like, if, he is a center. <laughs> right. But... Well, you also mentioned Luke Coonan and Joel Eriksson, and Center. So are, I'm looking at the list of centers in the NHL. Jake Evans and Jason Megna also centers. I'm at the Jays portion of the list, obviously. Mm-hmm. But my point is that, uh, of course they're centers, but how do you... It's not easy to find a capable top six center. Like You can't just pluck one off a tree. Uh, and so just dealing the only player that they had capable of doing that and you asked like what their underlying numbers look like and how responsible they are uh reasonably equal to be honest I'm looking at both their numbers relative to the rest of their teams Eric Stahl is a is a shade better in shot attempts per 60 while he's on the ice uh, and then they're pretty much even in terms of goals actual goals for expected goals for pretty much every other measure you want to look at, There's not a whole lot of daylight between Stahl's and Johansson's numbers. Neither ones are particularly impressive, but of course, Eric Stahl can score a bunch of goals and get you 55 points while he's doing nothing terribly impressive. Marcus Johansson does have this rep, and I think it's deserved of being a better two way player. So maybe just what was happening last year in Buffalo wasn't working for him. uh, Like it wasn't this. And like I said, he was playing center, so maybe that's not the ideal case, but. I don't know. Like, I, I hear you rationalizing this trade and saying, well, maybe they have other plans, other moves planned. And it's just like, you can't justify one silly move unless there's like a really, really logical domino. Like, sure, they could trade Matt Dumba for a centerman, but they probably could have done that and kept Eric Stahl too. So it's, it's well. strange.
0: Yeah, but then you have to bump Kunin and Erickson Eck to, like, the bottom six, and maybe they, Where they these
2: Where they belong, guys. Elon. Well, well, what makes you think Luke <laughs> Kunin and Joel Erickson Eck have any business being top six centers?
0: Uh, well, I guess the prospect folks are going to come after you. At some point, you hope that these players... I think that who's boosting these guys? <laughs> All right, well, we'll wait and see. I just uh, made a $1.50 bid on a Luke Coonan Young Guns <laughs> card on yeah, eBay. Yeah, because
2: he's <laughs> playing with Kevin Fiala, Maybe. not because you believe in his in his <laughs> in his pedigree. Uh, like, who is Luke Coonan? We've talked about him before because he's gone on. These like tiny little mini runs here and there that have been like, Oh yeah, he's playing with Parisi.
0: Oh, he's playing with Fiala. He's a former first round pick, Brian. That's <laughs> what
2: I'm saying. Fifteenth overall from the twenty sixteen NHL entry draft. He's now twenty-two. Uh last two years ago in the AHL, he had twenty points in twenty-eight games. That's last good. year was his first full time NHL season, uh, thirty-one points in sixty three games, and of course, limited Solid. deployment. No, this is <laughs> okay. If Elon was opening the Seattle Kraken franchise, uh, he would be drafting Luke Koonin as his number one center.
0: Well, I mean, I, I, I've got to see what the options are, but I feel like it's a bit too early to say Luke Kunin deserves to be a bottom six guy. I'm after not like, his first. not saying he deserves to be a
2: bottom six guy. I'm not going to assume he's anything more like I'll give him mid six, but I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh, yeah. I think he can play uh, as a number one centerman based oh. on nothing we've seen to suggest that so far. And then Erickson Eck, twenty two points in sixty two games last season. This is a guy who's had three full years in the NHL already. He seems to have no problem when he goes down for little stints in the AHL. Uh, he's been point. He's uh, eighteen career AHL games, eighteen career AHL points. Uh, So good for him. And those are over three seasons. But then in the NHL, he's played 210 games, 66 points, hasn't been given a top six role. But Elon, who has his competition even been? Also a former first round pick from 2015. So the Wild have this pair... Uh, former first-round picks from 2015 and 2016, both in the middle of the first round. And you I hope, for nothing but the best. I hope they're your number one and number two centers for the Minnesota uh-huh. Wild. Nick Bjokstad's also in the picture, of course. Uh, I would love nothing more than for the Wild to have a glut of centermen to prove everybody wrong that uh, they didn't know what they were doing when they traded Eric Saul. I would just expect to have seen a little more... Of anything from either of these guys to suggest they're ready, uh, then to see, like, it feels like maybe the card is being put before the horse here.
0: Maybe, but also, like, no one thinks Minnesota is going to win the Cup next year, right? And Eric Stahl only has one more year left on his contract. So, so does why Marcus
2: not- Johansson.
0: Yeah, so why not give these guys an opportunity, give them a good winger in Marcus Johansson, and we can start uh, building these players up to hopefully be potential top six guys. So I don't think Marcus Johansson, like, I'm gonna, am I gonna, how deep
2: are we going to get into this? I'm ready to be done! I can pull up the rest of the Wild roster and tell you one by one who Marcus Johansson is an improvement on. No, please uh, don't.
0: I'll I'll say also it's the kind of thing where probably in the end we're talking about two players who are going to get around 45-50 points next year and it's not going to be that meaningful. So, uh... Unless you think Eric Stahl, because Eric Stahl's 35, right? That's the other big thing. But you could say Marcus Johansson has injury history, which is my big concern about him. But also, I don't care that much. So we could always just move on to the (laughs) fantasy impact, which is, we should talk about the Buffalo side, because it definitely makes sense for them, right? Because Johansson wasn't working at center, and it seems like they're not ready for Casey Middlestat to take over that second center role, if ever. And they're probably not ready for Dylan Cousins. I think the plan is eventually for Dylan Cousins. So for them, it makes sense to get Eric Stahl for one year, and then maybe Dylan Cousins is ready after that. But in the meantime poor Jeff Skinner had nobody to play with and you'd hope that the guy they're paying how much are they paying Jeff Skinner like nine million dollars or something you'd hope that now he and Eric Stahl who by the way used to be teammates in Carolina and actually Chip also said something interesting about that that you'll want to listen to uh, but yeah you hope that they're going to find some chemistry over in Buffalo and maybe something could happen or who knows maybe Olafson ends up playing with Stahl like we'll have to see how things shake out in Buffalo so it definitely makes sense for them for a one-year wait for their second line center until hopefully a Dylan Cousins or maybe fin- Fingers crossed Casey Middlestad can assume that role. Uh, but yeah, fantasy impact on Buffalo. Tell me if you are disagree. I'd say like, hopefully this helps Jeff Skinner because he has a better centerman to play with. No guarantees, of course, but you got to assume things aren't couldn't get worse, right? <laughs> hopefully it can only get better.
2: Yeah, well, that was the big thing about Jeff Skinner last season is, is he didn't have anyone to play with. And uh, uh, Joe Jordan actually shared some really great thoughts. So if you haven't heard that 31 beats, go back and listen to it to hear a little bit more of Skinner talk and Dylan Cousins talk. Elon, tell me if I'm misremembering, did he mention that maybe the Sabres would want to try and start Dylan Cousins on the wing and then move him to center?
0: Yeah, I mean, you hear that about a lot of prospects. I don't remember that specifically, but that, yeah. I don't think that they're ready to just give Dylan Cousins the 2C role. They tried that with middle stat and it really didn't work. So I don't think yeah. they're like going to jump to taking a 19-year-old or 20-year-old and make him your second line center.
2: Yeah, so hopefully they've learned that lesson. And I, I actually really like what the Sabres have done. They were desperate for depth at center and like we said it's not so easy to come by unless you happen to have marcus johansson to to dangle as trade bait and then hello eric Stahl, who was not just jeff skinner's teammate but he was jeff skinner's centerman his line mate during jeff skinner's most successful season in carolina and one or two of the less successful seasons too but uh, wow i'm very curious to hear what Chip has to say about uh, the Skinner-Stahl connection. So I don't want to talk too much before getting to it, but I think this is a great little move for Buffalo. Nice and tidy. They get rid of a player that they didn't have much use for. They get a player who they have a lot of use for and uh, who is probably pretty eager to prove himself and, and show what he's got left after being straight up discarded by a team who, I mean, let's be real, he was the only centerman who could do anything offensively last year.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if Stahl likes this or not, because he was potentially going to be centering Fiala and Kirill Kaprizov next year. And that could have been like a really amazing line. Now he might get like what? Jeff Skinner and. Who who are the other wingers <laughs> on Buffalo? Like obviously we've got Reinhard and Olafson with Eichel, and then who would be the presumptive second well, line? Well, it's not
2: it's not Connor Sherry anymore. It was briefly. Well,
0: yeah, he's a UFA. They could bring him back.
2: They could. Uh, Kyle Ocposo's Posos in the picture. Oh, no. Curtis Lazar. Do- oh, Dominic Cahoon RFA. Actually, the Sabers now uh, have only four forwards. Under contract for next season, they have a uh, a bunch of RFAs, including Olafson and Reinhardt. Uh, but it, there could be a lot of turnover, like guys like Sabatka and Jimmy VC and Zemgisker Gensens and Johan Larson. Uh, I assume they're going to retain some of these guys because otherwise, I don't think they're going to replace them all in free agency. But there's a lot TBD on the right side of Eric Stahl. But you. You look at what the Sabres just have in in the guys they have signed. Eichel, Skinner, Stahl, and then assume Olofsen and Reinhardt are retained as RFAs. That's five pieces of what could be a really solid top six. So they just need to add one right winger, and maybe even Dylan Cousins steps in on on the wing temporarily. uh, And they've got a a full, replete top six. I'm trying to say that their top six is going to be legit. There's no filler in there.
0: Well, I mean, uh, if you look at Jeff Skinner's numbers yeah. last okay. year, especially like, I
2: mean, Jeff Skinner.
0: <laughs> and there's still also that sixth piece. So they're pretty they're, like, you know. But yeah, they've got something started. They also have hopefully a future Norris winner in Rasmus Dallin. Uh I like how Allmark looked last year. So I think there's, it's possible that the Sabres can be good. But also, we say that every year. So I don't yeah. want to get too excited about the Buffalo Sabres. They're
2: also Sabres. Uh, operating on an internal budget or cap. So, you know, they're not going to spend to the cap. So we're talking about this like, oh, they have so many roster spots up up for grabs and pretty much half their cap to spend, but they're not going to spend at all. So, uh, so uh, we can't get too excited. I don't think any marquee names. I mean, even if Buffalo had the money too. they can't always bring the marquee names to the sabers but uh especially so now I, I wouldn't yeah so let's not they have a solid five out of their six and you would argue elon that maybe they've even gotten worse with the addition of eric stahl over marcus johansson
0: well, we'll have to see. I mean, it really depends on what Eric Stahl can bring as a 35, 36 wow. year old.
2: I thought for sure you were just going to call me out and say, that's not what I said. How? What Taking my words out of context, but you're just going
0: to roll with that. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like when we started back in 2013 or whatever for Keeping Carlson, 2014, I feel like you taught me one of the first lessons was the age curve and how players regress as they get older. And the older they get, the sharper the regression is. And yes. Eric Stahl's, uh, he's up there. He's younger than me. But for a hockey player, he's he's pretty old. So uh, you don't know. Like, this could happen.
2: For podcasters, that makes us really old.
0: Yeah, we're old podcasters. But yeah, I was just thinking, like, Patrick Marleau, look at his career. Like, he was a perennial, like, point-per-game guy. Then he went to, like, 70 points. The next thing you knew, he was, like, a 40-point player and a 30-point player. Like, like at a, a snap of a finger.
2: That was different, though. Different kind of, of player. Of and uh, and I think he, he might have lost Thornton as his sender for part of that. Uh, so, yeah, well, Stahl's
0: just lost Fiala and has gotten Jeff Skinner. Yeah, so we'll he didn't see.
2: We'll have see. Fiala. Well, he had Fiala for for a lot of last year. Anyway, I'm looking at Eric Stahl's numbers and the way that you know his decline is happening, but it's not uh, it's not intense. In fact, he like rejuvenated his numbers just in 1718. He stepped it right back up when we thought he was in that sunset. He sort of reset the clock and then uh, got a little worse in 1819. Got a little worse in 1920. So yeah, he. Anyway, we I guess we're just going going back again already to the things we've already discussed.
0: Yeah, by the way, I promise you the listener, uh, we're not just like trying to fill time here. <laughs> like it's like this is an actual debate. Uh it's not as if we were like okay, we got to cover 30 minutes before we go to chip. Uh, there is something else I wanted to talk about, Brian. News has come out that apparently the contract talks aren't going very well with Alex Petrangelo and the St. Louis Blues. So word on the street is that it's looking like he's going to sign somewhere else. So I think we can just very quickly start to just drop little takes of what this would mean. Like on St. Louis, they lose Alex Petrangelo. All of a sudden, that's a top power play defenseman who was getting a whole bunch of points. As we know, Alex Petrangelo is going to make a lot of money because of the success he's had on St. Louis. So I guess it's time to start thinking about who would. Be assuming St. Louis doesn't then go and sign, I don't know, like a Tyson Barry or someone. You know, like there are some free agent defensemen out there that maybe they can go get to try to replace Petrangelo if they can't afford him. But uh right now, who would be the front runner? I feel like it would be between Vince Dunn or Colton Pareco, I guess Justin Falk. Uh yeah, I don't know. I would love to see Pareco just because I remember I think it would be so nice symmetry because when Kevin Shattenkirk was there on St. Louis and Pareko was just starting out, and everyone was saying, oh man, Pareko's going to be huge. Once Shaddenkirk is out of the way, it's going to be Pareko's time. And then I think it was a bit of a surprise when it turned out that Alex Petrangelo got the job as the top power play guy, and he never relinquished that job. And Pareko's always been mainly like second power play, sometimes even not on the power play at all last year when Dunn and Falk were ahead of him. Uh, but, you know, maybe just like Petrangelo kind of surprised me. I wouldn't be surprised to see now Pareco finally get his shot to run the top power play, and... Yeah, that that could be huge for him, right? Uh, He's another player who I bought his rookie card. I I don't know if if for anyone listening, I've gotten a little bit into hockey cards lately. So uh, yeah, you know, you make little bets here, but Pareko, but also like Dunn and Justin Falk. I don't know. So what's your take on these three guys? Is there anyone that jumps out at you as like the presumptive favorite right now?
2: Well, first off, let's just say uh, it's not a done deal that Petrangelo is out of St. Louis. uh, But of course there's talk and there's nothing else going on except two teams playing for the Stanley Cup, which uh, really in our world is not very much. Um, So we will talk about it. And uh, yeah, I I think the blues have had the opportunity to give Pareko looks for a while now, and they've passed him over for Vince Dunn, for Petrangelo, for Justin Falk. Like, it seems like everybody gets a turn over Pareko. I'd love to see that change. And I think some of that probably has to do with coaching, but I think the current coaching has been around long enough to Uh, not have shown us any interest in giving him a shot I'm interested in it too Elon because when Pareko came into the league as we've talked about a lot on the show his shot rates were phenomenal like he was really great at throwing the puck on net which is kind of what you want your offensive blue liners to do I think he's settled back and focused a little more on the defensive part of his game and that's what he's been asked to do so that's fine uh but We'll see if he gets to strut that again. I wouldn't be surprised to see Justin Falk. I mean, to see them try and get his salary value out of him. Uh, Justin Falk is making uh, how much money? I'm just looking it up. He was just extended.
0: Like six uh, point something, right? uh,
2: Yeah, six and a half million. And you have to wonder, like, sure, Petrangelo is two years older. But why couldn't? I don't know. I don't know if it was a choice, a conscious choice, to invest in Justin Falk long-term. I guess you wonder if maybe Petrangelo isn't going to sign with you even if you want him to, so you better lock someone down. But in hindsight, especially with the season Falk had, and especially with the few opportunities he had that he didn't seem to do much with on offense, uh, it seems strange. They have $6.5 dedicated to Falk, and because of that, can't really commit to Petrangelo long-term.
0: It was a mistake, I think. Like, Justin Falk probably shouldn't have been on the top power play in Carolina a couple years ago. Like, they should have... uh, What we've seen from Dougie Hamilton was they were silly to put Falk ahead at that point, and now St. Louis has realized maybe Justin Falk isn't as great as maybe his contract indicates. So, that's a shame. But uh, they'll have fun having him on their roster for the next few years.
2: So, we'll see. I'm I'm actually looking at the teams. I don't know if you've heard, like, rumors, Elon. Rumors we can talk about. Hit me. Hit me the rumors. No, I I actually was going to invite you to share the rumors, because I'm just looking at teams... With enough cap space, like to be able to to sign Petrangelo without making significant changes to your roster, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to have at least eight or nine million dollars of cap space. You're gonna have to have most of your team signed already. You're gonna have to be competitive. There aren't a whole ton of teams that check that box. Can you believe the Bruins have 14 million dollars in cap space and only four uh, four roster spots left to fill? Uh, and then. Really? That's the team that jumps out out at me. You have Colorado, although they have some costs coming down the road that they might want to keep space open for uh, Edmonton, Minnesota. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's really hard for you to look at cap friendly and just sort of like try to guess this. Like, I think there's a lot of internal stuff going on that teams couldn't mix things. Around. I've even heard Toronto still in the conversation. I know everyone assumes Toronto, like doesn't yeah. have any money. They just traded Casperi uh, in to try to increase a little bit of cap space availability. So who knows? I think the bottom line takeaway, though, is I don't really want to spend too much time speculating on where Petrangelo will yeah, go. Yeah, that
2: was really dumb of me, actually. I regret everything about it. Like, <laughs> it's not my style. And I blew it because keep in mind the Bruins have all that cap space because Tory Krug just came off the cap and they've been, that he's another UFA D who could hit the market. So,
0: oh. Maybe St. Louis can sign Tory Krug for a little bit cheaper than they could get uh, Petrangelo for. So we'll have to wait and see. I think the one takeaway for me is there aren't that many places that would increase or even sustain Petrangelo's fantasy value. So I'd be, if I owned Petrangelo right now in a dynasty league, I think he was in one of the best spots possible. And if he goes to like, Uh, Vegas I think I saw a rumor about or like Toronto or like something like that you know like a team that already has another person who's locked in as their top power play defense I guess Toronto actually doesn't because Morgan Riley was bumped but I don't know I would be worried right now if I had Petrangelo's hockey card I would be selling it right now before (laughs) he starts the next season because I can't imagine his value going up I could only see it going down or staying the same
2: I agree. There aren't a ton of landing spots available where, you know, the the number one power play quarterback spot is up for grabs. Not to say Petrangelo couldn't challenge for it, but that's never really been his his reason for being, right? His reason for being has been strong two-way play. He can do that offense, but uh, defensively, he's of of all the workhorse defensemen in the league, he's one of the best defensive ones out there, uh, one of the ones who can justify getting those huge minutes the most. So uh, if a team's signing him, it's probably not to be their top power play quarterback, although he can do the job, but I, you're right, Elon. There's a lot of incumbents, especially on the, on the competitive teams that might have a chance to sign him. Although, uh, you know, Toronto could use a power play quarterback themselves. Wow. This is sounding more and more likely.
0: Uh, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. So we'll obviously do lots of podcasting come, I think it's October 9th, when you unrestricted Free Agents can start signing. And we're going to have a lot of fun then. Not that we're not having fun now through these playoffs. Uh, I've actually been having a lot of fun in the playoffs that I wasn't expecting when we started, because we've started doing these really fun leagues every day on DraftKings to make all of these playoff games all the more exciting. Brian, believe it or not, but in our draft, by the way, this is a transition to an ad about DraftKings, but I am actually very excited to take Tell all of you that, Brian, this past week, I've won two... No, I haven't won, but I've come second place in two (laughs) contests in a row. My last two contests, I've come second place, which is in the money in our Keeping Carlson patron DraftKings League. Uh, So, how about that? Yesterday, I... Uh, took. I decided to go heavy on Dallas. I went Hudobin. As So the way it works now when there's only one game, normally with DraftKings, if you're playing like another sport or something where there's more games in one night, you pick a bunch of players from a bunch of different teams and each one has a salary and you try to mix it all up. But uh, when there's only one game you could also play in this different way where you just make a roster where you don't have to f- worry about like centers and goalies and defense you just pick any uh, six players you want you pick one to be your captain and you still do have salaries you have to stay under the cap and the captain gets 1.5 times the points and I took Hudobin as my captain which was a great choice I got uh, Rupe Hintz who got himself an assist Blake Coleman got himself an assist Rajlov, but I still could not beat Dunnyman who uh, had Jamie Oleksiak who somehow scored a goal and uh, how, how do you predict that but good job for Dunnyman for knowing th- it that's the fun of DraftKings
2: yeah I would say Alexiak has actually been on my roster a bunch of times too and Elon I have a better record than you in our DraftKings league yeah. uh, he's just one of those guys who could uh, get you there's bonuses if you get like three or more shots or three or more blocks or hits and he's one of those guys who is often cheap and can get you over that hump so even if they uh, even if Alexiak isn't putting up points, which for the most part he isn't, except at the front end of these playoffs, I don't know if you remember, he was. Uh, but even if he's not, he can still get you some real good value for cheap. And speaking of value, uh, anybody listening to our show can download the DraftKings app now. And if you use the code CARLSON, as an Eric's last name, uh, for a limited time, new users can get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes This week, don't miss out on the week three of NFL action and uh, the week we've stopped counting of NHL playoffs. Enter code CARLSON to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code CARLSON only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.
0: Yeah. Brian, obviously you have a better record than me. I stunk at the start, but lately...
2: Lately, I've started to get a little better, so... The fact that you called yourself a winner when you finished second
0: says says everything you need to say about your your performance in DFS. All I need to do is, look, if I see a green dollar sign after my team that means i was a winner okay if i won money and i didn't lose money i'll take we've been doing just one dollar contest it's obviously mainly just for fun and uh, i just was my goal was not to run out of money before the playoffs (laughs) ended with my 25 dollar deposit and right now i'm at 1994 so i think i'm gonna last even if we go seven games
2: there's also a free contest that we have every for every game too so if you don't want to put any skin in uh put nothing in
0: Yeah, for sure. And also, I guess DraftKings also has contests not related to us where you can put as much as you want, you know. But uh, be smart out there. So that was a lot of fun. Brian, talking about the Eric Stahl trade, we had a fun argument, talked about Petrangelo, talked about DraftKings. But I think with that, we might as well just go ahead and cut to my interview with Chip Alexander all about the Carolina Hurricanes. Enjoy the interview. Stand back. There's an interview coming through. All right, everybody, we've got a real treat for you today. We've got on the line one of the top Twitter follows for all things Carolina Hurricanes. He's at Ice Chip on Twitter. He also covers the Carolina Hurricanes for the Rally News and Observer. Welcome to the show, Chip Alexander. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to talk about the Hurricanes. This is a team that's really changed their whole reputation over the past couple of years. Like They lost in the conference finals to the eventual champion Pittsburgh Penguins way back in 2019. And then after that, the Hurricanes went on the super long playoff drought for nine seasons before finally getting back into the show a couple seasons ago when they upset the reigning champ Washington Capitals they made it to the conference finals before losing to Boston. And then going into this season, a lot of people were pegging the Hurricanes as a legit contender for the cup they were coming back with the same basic core from the year before but they added a couple pieces like dezingle and reimer and plus their younger players like a you know they were one year older so it wasn't a big surprise when the hurricanes dominated their qualifying matchup versus the rangers before running into a tough first round draw versus their nemesis boston bruins and that led to an early exit Still, I've got to imagine people are excited about the future. They've got like Aho, Taravainen, Hamilton, Slavin right in their prime, Sveshnikov and Nietzsche only getting better. So do you think the Canes, as they're currently made up, are ready to take a run at the cup in 2020-21? Or do you think there are still like some pieces missing for them to become a realistic contender?
1: Well, first off, just to back up just a second, you said the nemesis, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins, and certainly the New York Rangers were the nemesis there for a while. You know, they spent a couple of years where they've been dominated by the Rangers and uh, Henrik Lundqvist, and uh, they finally broke through that wall uh, in the qualifying round, but they were able to beat the Rangers. They, uh, beat the Rangers and then move on to the Bruins series, where uh, once again, Bruins were just too good for them. But looking ahead to next season, you're right. And, uh, with certain, you know, there's so many unknowns about how this season's going to play out, especially with the virus and, and travel and, and – how the schedule is going to look and when the season's going to start but just looking at the team on paper and some of the younger players that you expect to take the next step uh, even in ajo Sebastian Ajo I mean here's here's a uh, young player who you know had 38 goals this year he's on the verge of his first 40 goal season probably would have gotten it without the uh, the pause. Uh, he's got another step to take. Tavo Teravainen has another step to take. Certainly, and Andrei Svechnikov, Martin, you know Martin H. They have steps to take. So, I think they need to upgrade in, in a couple of areas, possibly in goal goaltending. But uh, looking at the team, you know, on paper, and certainly looking at last year, had Dougie Hamilton stayed healthy and not been injured in January, uh, things might have been a bit different. But you know, looking back on the on the year 2019 2020, there's only one thing we're going to remember about this year. And that's going to be the coronavirus and the way things played out. And whoever wins this Stanley Cup championship, which is going to be well-earned this year and, and certainly be a champion, everybody will remember.
0: Yeah, it's been a crazy year for sure. And I agree with you. It doesn't seem like the Canes have too many holes. I guess, like you say, goaltending does seem to be a concern. Uh, Is the plan for next season to continue to roll with Mrazek and James Reimer? I see they both still have one year left on their respective contracts. Uh, Is the plan to stick with them and then maybe a year later try to switch over to Alex Nedeljkovic, who's been their starter in the AHL for a little while? Or do you think they actually have a plan to go after a free agent and try to make an upgrade happen as soon as next season?
1: Well, like a lot of teams, you know, a lot's going to depend on how much money they have under the cap. And certainly they've got to look at some contracts coming up uh, beyond this year with uh, Svetchikov is going to be due a lot of money. If they want to re-sign a Dougie Hamilton, that's going to cost them. Uh, so to how much money can you put into goaltending? And certainly with those two guys, they weren't great goaltenders by any stretch of the imagination, but they were good, solid goaltenders. And uh, certainly I don't think they would be hesitant to go into next season. With, uh, with those two, with Morazik and Reimer. But if there was a chance to pick up a guy that they felt like could upgrade that position, I really think they would look at it and possibly try to make a move. And it may take another hockey trade, which is the uh, way they got James Reimer last year. And, of course, in, in the same process, got uh, – sent Scott Darling to the Panthers. But uh, right. that that's probably the biggest uh, – I think that's one area – that and uh, probably secondary scoring, they they need some help there. But those are the two biggest holes, in my opinion.
0: Well, wow, yeah, I kind of forgot about that whole Scott Darling fiasco. That really didn't work out well, but it's nice that they were able to move on from him pretty quickly. Um, since we're talking about the goalies, like, what are your thoughts on Alex Nadjelkovich? He's someone who I've heard a few people say they think he might be primed and ready now to step in and become a full-time NHL goaltender after being in the NHL for the past few seasons. And he's been pretty solid over in Charlotte. Do you think Nadjelkovich is going to get a shot as soon as next season?
1: I really think he might. And I know Alex very well and got to know him and interviewed him several times. Uh, I really think he has the makings of a good, solid goaltender in the NHL, and especially in the backup role. You know, If you had a very solid number one guy and could use uh, Alex as your number two guy and maybe give him, I don't know, 15 to 20 starts max. I I think that might be the kind of role they envision for him in the next few years. But at the same time, I kind of feel for Alex. I mean, I know know that he really wants his shot in the NHL. Uh, I don't think he's actively seeking a trade, but at the same time, I think he feels like he's ready for, you know, to play in the NHL and wants that opportunity. So But to answer your question, I could see that if they could come up with a really good number one guy, whether that's Peter Morazic sees in that role or whatever, I think they could bring Alex Nedeljkovic into the mix and use him as a backup.
0: Right, that makes sense. Yeah, going into this season, a lot of people were suggesting, I wonder if like Nadjelkovic could be this year's Binnington, you know, because it didn't seem like their starting goalies were all that special. But like you said, Mrazik and Reimer, I guess, held the fort. Uh, one more really deep goalie question before I get to the skaters. I saw they drafted a guy named Piotr uh in the second <laughs> round in 2019. That's uh, a good guess. <laughs> uh, did I get? I got it really wrong, didn't
1: I? No, I, I think that's probably right.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Kochetkov. Uh, I'll try it one more time. Uh, yeah, do you know anything about if they're happy with what they saw from him in the K Chelsea's drafting him and if there's any plans for him to come up anytime soon or is this like a long-term type of guy
1: I think it may be long-term you know he's kind of a mysterious kind of guy I mean I think they've maybe had a little trouble trying to get some information on him I'm just guessing there I know he came in to the prospect camp last summer uh, and we tried to interview him Uh, he said he didn't speak very good English didn't want to uh, do an interview and actually one of the reporters uh, is a native Russian and, and offered to, you know, do the interview in Russian and then interpret it for us, and he didn't want to do that either. So that only added to the, only added to the mystery a little bit. So, uh, but, uh, no, I, from everything I've heard, they think of him as a really good candidate, uh, you know, down the road, a few years down the road. But, uh, you know, playing in the KHL, it's just so hard to get a lot of uh, good hockey intel out of their video and those kind of things. So I think he's a big question mark.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, someone for the people in their dynasty leagues to keep earmarked, but, you know, a long time away still, probably. Okay, so let's get to the skaters here. And you brought up Sebastian Aho and said that he still maybe even has room to grow himself. And he's been a huge key to the Canes' success over the past couple of seasons. He's become like a true star in the league. It's crazy now to recall the Canes were able to get him 35th overall in the second round <laughs> in 2015. And especially, it even seems more crazy now that he's put up two straight, basically, point-per-game seasons in a row now, plus this past season. Like you said, he turned into a sniper, scored thirty-eight goals in sixty-eight games. That's a forty-six goal pace. And then most recently, he was a huge star of the early playoffs. He had 12 points in eight games before the Canes were eliminated. So of course we know Aho is amazing. The big question on my mind is kind of what you brought up, at twenty-three years old, do you think like he's hit his ceiling as around a point per game guy? Or should we be expecting another surge from him, and maybe become like a hundred point guy? Are we looking at like a Kucherov or something like that? Ah.
1: Yeah, I thought you were going to mention Eric Stahl, who once had a 100-point season for the Hurricanes. Oh, sure. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I don't know that that's the ceiling, but it could be pretty close. And, uh, and and when I talk about him taking the next step, I know that Rod Brendamore wants him to be a more complete centerman. You know, there was some hesitation in moving him from the wing to center. And part of it, uh, obviously, is his uh, ability in the face-off circle where he needs to improve. Uh, more so in the defensive zone and being better and more responsible there. I'm not saying he's bad there, but certainly he can take the next step there. Offensively, there's not much more you can do. I mean, he's pretty crafty. He's learned the league now. He knows what he can do, what he can't do. He has a uh, very uh, knock on wood a little bit, but he dodges the big hits. Uh, He knows his way around the net. He knows how to score. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting you bring up the draft where they picked him in the second round. I remember – the moment he was drafted and doing a lot of Googling at the moment, and all of a sudden there were two Sebastian Ajos, and I panicked for a second. Right. I didn't know which one they had taken, and then quickly learned it was the wing out of Finland. So, uh, But certainly a lot of teams are kicking themselves for not drafting him, but at the same time, because of his size, I can see why you know some teams passed on him. But uh, great hit on his shoulder, very mature. Uh, teammates love him. Uh, and and he is really all about business. I mean, all he wants to do is play hockey. He's not interested in stardom. I mean, he was honored to get picked as an all-star a couple years ago, but uh, all he wants to do is play hockey and win games. And he may look young, and he may look like a kid at times, but he is a very intense hockey player.
0: Yeah, and he really like it really came through in the playoffs. Like, you know, I, the ratings were like super high. I mean, you know, we didn't have much else going on, and so I watched a few Hurricanes games, especially those ones against the Rangers. And like, yeah, he uh, was dominating. He was amazing. And yeah, thinking of next year, like. The reason why I think maybe he has room to grow even more in his ceiling is I think about like, the fact that he's going to be playing with Andrei Svechnikov, who's only like, 20, 21 years old, so you'd expect him to get better. So even just having a better line mate, you'd think could be a reason for Ajo to get better. I guess on the other hand, he did have a bit of a high shooting percentage this year, so you wonder if maybe that will regress a little and that maybe will cause him to hold steady overall. But yeah, it's been a really exciting entrance into superstardom for mm-hmm. Sebastian Ajo over these past couple of years. And you
1: you forgot to mention the uh, quiet MVP of that line, who might be the, who might be the best overall player on that line, Tevo Teravainen.
0: Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask you about him. That he's also put up two fantastic seasons offensively, at least like putting up seventy six points and pacing for 76 points this past season. So basically almost at a point per game. Like what a shrewd move by then GM Ron Francis to get Tara Vinan from the cap-strapped Hawks in 2016 for a second pick, a third pick, and they took on the Brian Bickle contract. And that was enough to get this star. And now you're saying he may be the best player on the team and the MVP of that line. <laughs> I was going to ask you, is Tara Vinan as good as his numbers indicate, or is he getting buoyed by getting to play with a superstar like Aho? But it sounds like you you say maybe it's Ajo getting buoyed by playing with Tara Vinan.
1: No, I think it works both ways, actually. And, and I always kind of say the two are joined at the hip. Uh, they're good friends, obviously. They're fellow fans. But at the same time, and I've written this a few times and have said it over and over, and I know Rod Brendemore <laughs> has heard me say this and ask about it, too. It's my firm belief that those two should always be on the ice together. I mean, they should be on five-on-five. On five. They should be four-on-five. They should be on the power play. When one goes over the boards, the other should go with him. And they just play off each other so well. It's very uncanny. Uh, in the years that I've covered the Hurricanes, I don't believe I've seen two players who play off each other and react to each other quite the way that they do. It's almost like they're on the same uh, wavelength.
0: I feel like you're describing the Sedin's or something.
1: <laughs> but no, there uh, and Tavo uh, is just, and we call him Turbo, obviously, which is a great nickname, and he loves it too. Uh, is is just a very smart player. In fact, uh, Don Waddell, the general manager of the team, has said from time to time that Tavo may be the smartest guy on the team, hockey wise, hockey IQ wise. Seems to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, Rod Brendamore certainly loves the fact that at times when say a Sebastian Ajo will be out of place defensively or Svechnikov you know, will will be in the wrong place or doing the wrong things or whatever, that Turbo seems to be the guy that cleans up the mistakes and is in the right spot to make the right play. And uh, But once again, going back to the two-headed monster of Ajo and Terravina, and I just feel, I feel like that uh, you don't have to be a real smart, smart uh, hockey coach, I think. Just put those two out there and just let them do it. Because, you know, when Brendan Moore made the decision to, to use them on the uh, penalty kill a few years ago, I mean, it really clicked immediately, and it also seemed to help their five-on-five games. They became more aggressive.
0: That's great. So yeah, Do you expect Rindemore to keep stacking the top line with Aho, Teravinen, and Svechnikov like they were doing this year? Or could you see him wanting to spread the offense around a little more at some point? And then obviously that might hurt the offensive ceiling of whoever gets bumped from that top line.
1: Well, it goes back to like the Bruins and their top line. What do yeah. you do? Do you spread them out or do you just stack them up and let them go? Uh, I have a feeling if some of these younger players such as Martin Nate's can develop, and they'd like to see him move to center at some point, that uh, they may stick with that top line and, and let those three grow together. And as I said, with the same wavelength between Ajo and, uh, and Terravina, and you might have Svetsikov kind of feeding off those two. And then, then you've got a really a three-headed monster there. They're, they're closing in on that now, but think about that in a year or two.
0: Yeah, it's fun, especially if the Bruins are going to be like their obstacle. I I'm in Toronto here. The Bruins used to be the Leafs obstacle. Now I guess yeah, a bunch of teams are adding them to their hit list. And yeah, it would be fun to see like that top line of the Bruins versus this top line of Carolina go at each other one more time. I'd be curious to see how it would go. Like, if everyone was healthy. Uh, so, I haven't asked you yet about Svechnikov. So, let's get to him. He's mm-hmm. the third piece of that killer top line for the Canes, the second overall pick in 2018. He had a decent rookie season, right? 20 goals, 37 points as an 18 year old. He was playing less than 15 minutes a game, which obviously makes it hard to do much better than that. And then this year, Svechnikov was given a bigger role. Like we said, moved up to the top line and he came out guns a blazing. Uh, he had. Eight points in his first five games. just shot out of a cannon, and he really didn't slow down. He ended the season with 24 goals and 61 points. So that's a 74-point full-season pace if they had played all 82 games. Uh, I'd imagine it must be a lot of fun covering a superstar as he develops like this. What would you say has been the biggest change you've seen in Sveshnikov between the first game you saw from him a couple seasons ago and where he's at now?
1: Well, personality-wise, he hasn't changed a bit, which is great. I mean, he came in. Uh, I think the, the teammates immediately accepted him. He's just a great guy to be around. has a great attitude uh, and a tremendous worker. Uh, the, the quickest way to impress your teammates is to show a great work ethic, and that's what he did from the first day he was, uh, you know, at camp. And uh, in terms of his game, yeah, he's still learning. You know, there are times when uh, he lets his emotions get to him uh, and kind of loses his head on the ice, uh, which a lot of young guys do. That happens to guys. Uh, he takes too many stick infractions which they're still working on him, you know, with that. Keep the stick down, use your head, don't get upset, those kind of things. But in terms of his offense, I mean, you know, this year he became more of a force on the power play, scored like six power play goals, um, and became a a key link to their first power play unit. So there are areas where he can grow, and, and you talk about his ceiling, and I've asked that question to players on the team, and they just shake their head, they say, I don't know what his ceiling is. This kid could be a superstar in the league. Uh, He has a ways to go, you know. I I think he could have played better in each of these last two seasons. But uh, certainly with the trend that he's been showing and the way he's going uh, and and his point production and all those kind of things, and knowing the kind of worker and the kind of person he is uh, and the personality he has, I think he could be a star in the league. One other thing I'd like to bring up about uh, Andre – which we just call him Svech, but uh, Andre, is that when he got in the fight with uh, Ovechkin in the playoffs last year, uh, and took the big uh, punch and knocked him out, the concussion, the whole thing, I was kind of kidding him at one point about, uh, well, I guess you learned a lesson there about picking on a guy like Ovechkin, and he just kind of smiled and said, we'll see, you know, that's hockey, and the point was, The next time he's in a confrontation like that, he may react the same way. He's not going to back down from anybody in the league at any point. Uh, And I think you see that in the way he plays. He does not back down from anybody. Uh, Power forward who really shows that power in his game and, and a pretty powerful personality go with it.
0: Yeah, the Canes definitely lucked out getting the second round pick in that draft. I do hope if that same fight happens again, I hope that uh, Ovechkin doesn't get a concussion because I like the idea of him going after that goal record. So maybe he could like go easy on Ovechkin as, you know, he's going to be a little older. Maybe you, you don't want to try to hit him too hard.
1: <laughs> well, what, one other thing about uh, about that, uh, I think it was last year this time or whatever, I was asking him about that and he said, well, yeah, you know, he's t- he took boxing lessons uh, in the summer. And I said, well, that was probably a pretty good idea after the fight with Ovechkin. And he said, well, I took it last summer, too. And I said, you did. I said, well, did you get your money back for the first one? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's funny. But
1: uh, no, he's a—he's just a great kid to be around. And um, like I say, thinking about the ceiling for him, there's just no telling where that might be.
0: Right. Is the sense that we're like a couple years away from him probably being the leading scorer on the team even ahead of Aho? Or do you think that's like sort of setting the bar a bit too high?
1: No, I think that's I think that's pretty accurate. I can see that happening in a couple of years, but at the same time, you know, you wonder where the ceiling is with Ajo, too. Could he be right. a forty-five goal scorer? And uh, certainly, I could see uh, Svedcov getting into the mid-thirties next year with a good season. But uh, to reach the forty-goal plateau, that takes a little extra and uh, may take him a few more years.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. He's only—it's wild. He's only twenty years old right now, so you've got to expect there's still going to be a lot of room for growth. Uh, So another guy that you've mentioned a bit is Martin Nichas, who the Canes drafted in the first round back a year before they got Svechnikov. They got him 12th overall in 2017. And even though he's a year older than Svech, as you said, you call him, uh, Nichas, he just had his rookie season this past year, 2019-20. He played a couple games in the previous year. Uh, And he put up rookie Svech-like numbers, I guess. He had 16 goals and 36 points for a 46-point full-season pace. I've heard a lot of people over the past couple of years, including our friend Cam Robinson, who's like our prospect expert that we bring on the show sometimes, he's been very into Nietzsche for a while now, he was salivating about his potential, so I'm curious to get your take on how the organization and you think like the his rookie season went like are we happy with what we saw from Nietzsche, I and mean, we think that things are on track, or was it a bit of a disappointing season
1: no I think uh, I think on track would be the best way to describe it uh. Certainly, he, uh, Martin would like to have played the year before that, but spent the year in Charlotte uh, playing in the AHL, which was probably a good thing for him to do. Uh, he helped develop his game. He played some wing there, got ready for a year in the NHL. They won the Collar Cup, which was, you know, to win a championship, this always gives you a good feeling going into the NHL. Uh, one thing about uh, Natchez is, uh, you know, his speed. I mean, as, as coaches like to say, you can't teach speed. And this kid is really fast. Uh, He may not be Nathan McKinnon fast, but he is pretty daggone fast. And he can get up and down the ice, and he can blow past defenders pretty quickly. Uh, And he has a pretty good finishing move, too. So it's a lot about learning the league. Uh, He still needs to get more of the so-called man muscle on him. Still a slender kind of guy. He needs to be a little bit bigger and tougher. But uh, you put a few more pounds on him, and I don't think that will slow him down a little bit. You let him get a little more adjusted to the league, and uh, certainly there's another player to keep an eye on in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like just we've just seen the example of Svechnikov and the big jump he took from his rookie season and his second season. So now it's exciting to see if Nietzsche could do something even half as good as what Svech did this past year. <laughs> do you have a sense of like who we should expect his most common line mates to be next year. Like this year, he spent a bunch of time with Dezingle and Haula before he got traded. And then he played primarily with Niederreiter and Trocek in the playoffs. Is this like just a big unknown for 2020 2021? Or I guess at this point, it might just be 2021, <laughs> actually. Uh, but, or has Rod Brindamore shared a vision of how he'd like to see his lineup shake out?
1: He hasn't yet. And certainly we'll have to go past, uh, you know, free agency to see what happens there. I would, I would right. guess if I had to, that he would stay on the Trocek line Uh, that's a possibility, Um, and let those guys play together. Uh, You know, I'm really interested in how Vincent Trocek will handle this next season because it was such a uh, disjointed start to his, uh, you know, the way he came to the Hurricanes and the trade and all that kind of thing. So you got to get those two on the same wavelength and play in together. And uh, I think, uh, really, in talking to a bunch of people in the organization, they really see Natchez being a center, you know, down the line. So I don't think that'll be next year. They, they may look at him two years down the line, but uh, certainly he's, he's a very interesting uh, prospect and with a lot of upside to him. And another guy with a great attitude. I mean, he he, he may not have the same work ethic as uh, Svetch does, but uh, he really loves to play hockey and he shows it on the ice at times. And uh, he certainly got a wicked shot. You know, he was a uh, another guy who, helped the power play this year with five or six goals. And he showed a pretty wicked one-timer, you know, from that left circle. So uh, that shows his offensive upside. And certainly it's a matter, too, of the whole 200-foot game with uh, with him. And he has to be like a lot of those guys. He needs to learn that you got to play as hard in the defensive zone as you do in the offensive zone. But that that comes with age. And certainly it comes with this head coach and Rod Brendamore.
0: Right, yeah. And actually it's interesting that you bring up the power play. I was just going to ask you about it because – it seemed like this year, the top power play was mainly made up of the big three that we've talked about and Dougie Hamilton as the defenseman. And then there's still room for one more player. And that's generally been like a Jordan Stahl or Justin Williams or Eric Haula, at least this year. Of course, at this point, two of them are gone. I assume Justin Williams isn't coming back. And Jordan Stahl seems to have his best years behind him, uh, offensively, at least at this point. So do you think that Nietzsche is the front runner to maybe be that fourth forward on the top power play next year?
1: I think he is. And, uh, you mentioned Jordan and Jordan didn't get a lot of power play time, uh, this year as much, certainly not as much as he has in the past. And, uh, right. you're right. I mean, with his ability to score and the quick shot that he has, the one-timer, the offensive skills, certainly he's a good fit for the power play unit and possibly the top power play unit this, this year. And, uh, one thing, when I mentioned the man muscle on, on, on nature's, you know, he, he's really put on some, uh, weight in the last couple of years, but, uh, the difference between him and Andre Svetsikov is Svetsikov came into the league a pretty chiseled guy. He's a pretty strong guy and was even when he was 18 years old. And I think uh, Martin H has had to catch up uh, in that category.
0: Right, I see. So maybe now he'll have a long offseason, so lots of time to hit the gym and we'll see what he comes back like. <laughs> Not very long. Oh yeah, well I guess we don't know yet what the plan is for next season. But yeah, you're right. I guess it could happen pretty quickly if everything goes according to plan. Okay, so we've talked about all of these young players. I want to get to some veterans now because outside of these exciting young forwards, the Canes' middle six is made up of a bunch of veterans who have had big seasons in the past and now have seemed to have settled into more like supporting roles, or at least this past season. So you already brought up Vincent Trocheck. Others that jumped to mind are like Nino Niederreiter, uh, Ryan Dezingle, Jordan Stahl, who we started talking about. Like I'd imagine you'll tell me that all of these guys and like Eric Halla, who was there before he was dealt for Trocek, I'd imagine you'll tell me they were all useful for the Canes' depth, but none of them were especially helpful to their fantasy managers. They all paced for <laughs> under 40 points while they were on the team. So, do you think what we saw this past season out of these four, Niederreiter, Dzingle, Stahl, Trocek, is the best we can expect moving forward? Or are there any of them in particular that you think still have the potential to surprise in the next season and produce like they did back in their best seasons? <laughs>
1: Well, I know that the Hurricanes are certainly hoping that Ryan Dzingel has a much better year than he did. Uh, they were counting on 20-plus goals from him this year, uh, over 82-game season if they played that. But uh, he certainly just was, did not give them the offensive production they were looking for. Uh, and I know he's capable of that. I know it, it bothered him. I would think that, that he was not able to he, – he likes the situation at Carolina. He likes his teammates. Uh, he's certainly excited about living down here. Uh, but at the same time, for a guy that they thought they could just plug into the lineup, especially in the Rod Brendan Moore system of getting up and down the ice and being aggressive offensively, he would be an easy fit. It just didn't work. Uh, with Nino Niederreiter, obviously, he came in in the trade a, a year or so ago in, in January of whatever, 2000, of 2019. And, and really just uh, after that trade for Minnesota, I mean, he just played like one of the best players on the team and helped get him in the playoffs. Did not play well in the playoffs, had a very mediocre season last year. And here's a player making over $5 million a year. They need more from Nino. Uh, they need him to come into camp in great shape and ready to go next year. But Jordan Stahl, you're right. I mean, you talk about his best years behind him, certainly offensively. Uh, he's not going to put up the numbers. Uh, I think uh, certainly he struggled this year with his hands and timing and, and those kind of things. And you could see that. There's – I mean, you know, he's put in a lot of miles now. I mean, he's approaching 1,000 games. He's played heavy minutes. But Rod Moore loves the guy, and his teammates love him. He's a team captain. He does so many good things on the ice still defensively. You know, he's a great face-off guy. He's big. He's strong. He does a lot of the the heavy lifting for him. So he's still a productive player that way, not in terms of numbers, but that way. So uh, I think they can get by with uh, Jordan as their checking center. But when you look at a Nino and you look at uh, Ryan Dezingle and then, you know, they're hoping that uh, it's a matter with Vincent Trocek of just getting more comfortable with the system and playing more games that he'll show the kind of form he did in Florida. But still a lot remains to be seen. I've, I've talked to people I know in Florida who watched Vinny over the last few years play for the Panthers and say that he was never quite the same after a couple of injuries and it slowed down. So that bears watching too as we get into next season.
0: Yeah, the thing with Trocek is he had that injury a couple seasons ago where it looked like he'd be done for the season for sure. Then he came back way ahead of schedule. But yeah, you're right. Like, his numbers have never been the same since then. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. His one great season was the one where he got that amazing deployment on Florida, playing on the top power play, playing with Barkov. So I wonder if also... It's just a lot of things, and it makes Trocek a really intriguing guy for next season. Like At this point, if you had to predict which of Niederreiter, Dezingle, or Trocek, who do you think is going to get the most points next year? Like, Can either of them surpass, let's say, 50 points?
1: That would be a push. Uh, certainly, if you had to look at those three, I'd go with Ryan Dezingle. And depending on whether he could have a good uh, you know, goal-scoring uh, year, uh, certainly, I don't know about the assists, but uh, 50 points is a push for those guys. I can't see Nino doing that. I certainly don't see Jordan doing that and or Ryan. So it, with Vincent Trocek, I haven't seen enough of him over a long enough stretch. I would say of those four guys, he's probably the best candidate.
0: Right. Yeah. We just have to find out like, if this injury has changed him for good, or maybe it's just a matter of him adjusting to the team and he'll be back. Like, I think it was 2016-17, Vincent Trocek was the, the peak that he gave us. And Niederreiter also had that good season. It was, do you have any sense of what happened? Like, How did Niederreiter go from being so valuable on the team? He was playing with Ajo, I recall, maybe, and Taravainen. And, you know, like you said, he was like putting up near point per game in that stretch after he got acquired at the trade deadline. And then since then, he's really disappeared.
1: Yeah, I think he just had a big adrenaline rush after the trade. I think he was so upset about the trade for Minnesota that he that he wanted to show that he could be a really good player. And and he did there for a couple of months. Uh, Maybe he settled in after that. I don't know. There was some scuttlebutt last year. They weren't all that happy about the conditioning that he had coming into camp. Uh, And he did not play well early in the season, and he seemed to get a little bit better as the year went along. Uh, Once again, a pretty popular player, too. I I think all the players really like Nino. He's a very popular guy in the room. Uh, And certainly they're all hoping that he can show the form that he did for several seasons in Minnesota because they need him to be that kind of guy. And he can play on any of the lines. I mean, he can play the top line. He can be used on the fourth line, which he has been. Uh, And he's also been a healthy scratch. So he's, he's seen it all, and he knows the situation, and he has a pretty demanding coach. The one thing about Nino, I think he got from the interviews I did with him when in Minnesota, you know, he's playing for Bruce Boudreaux, and I think he fell out of favor with him, and, and I, I'm not sure he knew quite where he stood, uh, and, and that's a guess on my part. But certainly with Rod Moore you know where you stand. And, and if Moore is disappointed in any facet of your game, he's going to tell you. And one thing about Rod Brendamore, he's been in all those spots too. Rod Brendamore has been a big star in the NHL at the same time. He's been a fourth line center. He's also been a – he also was a healthy scratch as a player. So you can't run any experience in the NHL at all past Rod Brendamore where he hasn't been there. And so he can really sympathize and empathize with a lot of these players. And he'll do that with Nino Niederreiter. And uh, certainly next year with his contract situation, you know, he's hard to trade. So they just need improved play from him.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about how Brindamore could bring all of that expertise from all the facets of the game. It's funny, like Niederreiter, I remember when that trade happened, it was Niederreiter for Victor Rask, and Paul Fenton, the GM of the Wild, was like roasted for that trade. Everyone was saying how he made such a terrible deal. And at this point, I guess Victor Rask hasn't done anything. I don't even know if he's still in the league. I haven't heard his name in a while. But yeah, Niederreiter obviously isn't panning out to be as good. So maybe we have to give Fenton a little bit of a break there.
1: Uh, no, I was going to say with, uh, with Victor, he's still with Minnesota. In fact, uh, I think I read just the other day that they feel like they would really need for him to try to step in and do something next year, especially now with Eric Stahl gone. They're not giving up on Victor Rask. And uh, there's another player that I liked. He was one of my favorites with Carolina. Uh, certainly not with a lot of media perhaps, but I, I like the guy. I talked with him a lot. Uh, and really, you know, after he, he had a 21-goal season, that's when he got a new contract with the Hurricanes and really felt like he was in position where he could push to be the number two center. And he had some shoulder injuries and had some surgeries that set him back. But I think, you know, I am still haven't given up on Victor Rask. I don't think the Minnesota Wild uh, have either. So uh, that remains to be seen. Obviously, it was very tilted in the Canes' direction early on in that trade. But as time goes by, we'll see how that went. And you got to remember that one's making a lot more money than the other and see how that all evens out.
0: Yeah, that's true. A bit of a hot take here that Victor Rask might come up from the dead and like, at least in terms of fantasy, right? And like start uh, being a producer again. I was planning on asking you, I guess I might as well ask you now, like, yeah, with this Eric Stahl trade, he got sent to the Sabres for Marcus Johansson earlier this week. Uh, As someone who's covered Eric Stahl in the past, like a lot of people are thinking the Sabres got a steal here, like thinking like, what were the wild thinking trading away Stahl for Johansson? Uh, But though Stahl is like 35 right now. I'm curious, like, what do you think of that trade in general? do you think that the sabers got a steal or do you think the wild knew what they were doing
1: no i think eric Stahl might have a very good year in buffalo and one reason i think that is kevin adams is his gm and the two are friends and certainly uh, played together on the uh, 2006 stanley cup champions have known each other for years um i don't think eric Stahl is that upset about going to buffalo especially with kevin being there uh certainly kevin's not a teammate anymore but at the same time leading that organization and um Each time that uh, Eric gets traded, you know, it's almost like he needs to prove himself again. I know he's 35 now, but uh, this is one of the classiest guys that I've covered in the league. Uh, Great head on his shoulders, very mature. You know, father, uh, husband, the whole thing, teammate, captain of the team. You can't ask for a better person than Eric Stahl. And his brother Jordan is a lot like him. And I don't know Mark Stahl that well, but he seems to be the same kind of guy. So the Stahl brothers have certainly been big pluses for the NHL in their careers uh, in terms of the way they conduct themselves. And I just think that Eric Stahl is going to have a pretty good year next year for Buffalo. And it's kind of interesting that he's going to be reunited with Jeff Skinner. Right. And I don't think those two always got along that great at Carolina. I'm not saying that they disliked each other, but there were times when it seemed like it was a little bit of oil and water. And, uh, you know, they're – there's been some talk that maybe the two could play on the same line. It didn't work in Carolina. I don't think it'll be in Buffalo. But then again, that's not my call. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I mean, things can't get much worse for Jeff Skinner in Buffalo after the season he just had. So maybe he'll try really hard to get along with Eric Stahl this time. And maybe uh, it could go well. I guess we'll have to see. But that, I'll save that for the next Sabres podcast we do. <laughs> uh, but back to the Canes. Or actually, let me ask you about another like this week in news. That somewhat is related to the Canes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they chose not to re-sign Joel Edmondson, and then the Habs ended up trading for him and then signing him for four years, $3.5 million. Do you think that this was a shrewd move by the Habs to get Edmondson, or do you think Carolina was smart to let him go? Do you think the Habs are overpaying?
1: Yeah, I think that you know, I know probably what Joel Edmondson was after in terms of uh, you know his contract and the term, the term and the money, and certainly got what he wanted there. I'm not sure he was going to get that kind of money in Carolina, so it was probably a pretty good deal for him. I don't think they wanted to pay, and I'm pretty sure they didn't want to pay four million plus for him. So uh, certainly with the uh, with the guys they already have on their uh, in their decor that are making that kind of money, including Jake Gardner, who was their big pickup last year. So. Um, Everybody liked Joel Edmondson. Another another guy great in the room. Uh, they need his grit in the lineup, and that's going to be something they need to replace next year. But at the same time, at $4 million plus, I'm not sure they were prepared to pay that kind of money.
0: Right. And it's always impressive when a GM is able to get a pick out of a pending unrestricted free agent. So good on them for being able to get something for him before he walked uh, so, okay, but you brought up the D. So let's talk about the D core now on the Hurricanes. One huge story for them at the start of 2019-20 was the absolute tear that Dougie Hamilton went on. He had uh, just an amazing start. As of December 17th, he had just come off a three-assist game versus Winnipeg. He sat at 36 points in 34 games. So he was over a point-per-game pace midway through December. But then after that, he started to slow down. He only had six points in his next 13 games before disaster struck. His regular season was ended in a game versus Columbus where he collided with Kevin Stenland. He broke his left fibula. Somehow, he was able to get himself back into the lineup for the series against Boston. He had a couple points in those five games. I'm not going to, you know, read into that since he was just coming back from injury. Mm -hmm. So now going into next season, how should we go about, like, figuring out who the real Dougie Hamilton is? Like, he put up a career-high 50 points with the Flames back in 2016-17. Then his numbers declined over the next couple of seasons, including only 39 points in 82 games in his first season with Carolina. But now he's coming off a 70-point pace (laughs) season where he was pacing for even more at the start. So are you expecting a repeat of what Hamilton was doing at the start of last season come next season? Or do you think maybe he was playing a bit over his head?
1: Yeah, it might be best to maybe start at about that 50-point range and see where it it lands. Um, Yeah, it, it... Remains to be seen. Coming off that broken leg, and I don't think we saw enough of him when he came back. Certainly he had a minor type injury in the training camp before they went to uh, Toronto in the the bubble uh, that set him back, and he wasn't able to play against the Rangers. But uh, the, I think the good thing for Dougie is was he was able to come back and go to training camp and play in these you know in that playoff series because you know getting injured in January. If he wasn't able to come back and play in that, I mean, he'd be sitting out almost the entire year if they don't start until December. And uh, and I think the fact that he was able to come back, get his legs under him, play a little hockey, see what he maybe he needs to work on. He, he said he didn't feel quite 100% there, but I think obviously he will if, if training camp opens on schedule in the middle of November, that he'll be at 100%. And, um, you know, I think the kind of pace he was on last year – It's a perfect system for Dougie Hamilton and especially a perfect pairing with Jacob Slavin. I mean, he can be as aggressive as he wants to be in terms of jumping into the rush, all those things, being aggressive offensively, knowing that Jacob Slavin is behind him and ready to, to, you know, to clean up his mistakes. And certainly I thought the two played off each other very well. And Jacob Slavin has some offensive upside too. But uh, I think that pairing is a really good pairing. And I think Brendan Moore's system is a great system for Dougie Hamilton. And another thing not to be overlooked is off the ice, I think Dougie Hamilton's found a very good comfort zone in Carolina. I think he, he likes his teammates. They like him. Uh, I'm not sure what happened in Calgary. I don't know what happened in Boston. But I know that in Carolina he seems to be a pretty happy guy, and I think that, that shows up in his game sometimes.
0: Yeah, there, wasn't there that news story about how the Hamilton's teammates in Calgary, like they would be out partying and he would want to go to a museum or something and he didn't fit in there? I heard something like that. It was really funny.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously those, those stories uh, trailed him from Calgary, but at the same time, once he got here and, and he seemed to get to know the guys, uh, you know, you, there were question marks that came up. I know last year I was being interviewed by a Boston radio station. They were asking me questions that were pretty pointed about Hamilton being a bad guy and, and, and how many problems has he had in Carolina and all this guy? Kind of, and I said, wait a minute, I'm, we're not talking about the same guy, not the same Dougie Hamilton I'm seeing in the locker room. And I'm the guy that's in the locker room. I see him. Uh, I'm around him. I watch him play. I watch him interact with his teammates. Uh, I don't see that Dougie, Dougie Hamilton here. So, I don't know how he was in Calgary. All I can say is since he's been with Carolina, he's been a pretty strong teammate.
0: Well, that's great. And like, I'm hoping this year he could stay healthy and finally we can see what his real upside is because, like, I think one reason why he wasn't able to hit those big offensive numbers is it was only this season where he got that shot on the top power play. Because the previous year in Carolina, it mm. was Justin Falk that was there. This year, finally, Hamilton got the reins and he really ran with it before he got hurt. So, and even in Calgary, I remember like he was always like behind Giordano or TJ Brody mm. or something. So it'll be nice to see what he can do. Hopefully, a full healthy season getting like the top deployment he played like his highest time on ice per game by a lot this year he was averaging 23 plus minutes when he'd never been over like 21 and a half before so
1: well you know how you know how coaches uh, will always say when somebody gets hurt well it's unfortunate for us but uh yes it's, it's the next man up we got to get a new guy in there we move on those kind of things but uh you know rod brendamore didn't try to sugarcoat it quite like that when uh, hamilton got hurt he just said this is a huge huge loss for us and it was
0: Yeah, that's maybe like the best reason to expect the Hurricanes to maybe be even better next season because they have like Sveshnikov a year older, but also they have hopefully Hamilton healthy for the whole season and into the playoffs. Uh, with Hamilton Hurt we did see Jacob Slavin see his role increase he went from around 22 and a half minutes per game to around 25 minutes uh, plus he saw more power play time though he actually only managed three power play points with that opportunity so obviously that didn't go especially well for him but when it was all said and done Slavin had himself a career year putting up 36 points in 68 games for a 43 point pace well above his like 31 and 30 points in the previous two seasons do you think that Jacob Slavin? Well, I guess first of all, like forgetting about the offense, like how big a part was Slavin to the Canes' success this year? Because I hear a lot of talk about him as being one of the better defensive defensemen in the league. So I want to hear it from you.
1: Very big part, very big part, and and once again, not just on the ice, off the ice. I mean, this is a really solid citizen uh, who conducts himself very well, who works hard, says all the right things uh as as you know if you've read about Jacob Slavin you know he's a very he's a man of very strong faith uh you never hear him utter a cuss word on the ice he's not that kind of player he doesn't (laughs) chirp he's going to win the Lady Bing he probably should have won it this year he's going to win it one year I think that's my prediction uh you're going to hear him more and more in Norris talk uh he's just become a very well-rounded defenseman and, and I think and this might be a little thing, but something I've noticed uh, watching him grow through the – I mean, he's, he's the best hand-eye coordination on the team. Maybe him and Justin Williams. But, I mean, he can knock pucks down. He can, he can get a stick on pucks. He, you know, these airborne-type pucks. I mean, there are little things like that, the plays that he can make uh, in the defensive zone and sometimes in the offensive zone, just trying to keep a puck in, you know, on a power play that he makes that go overlooked. And uh, after the game, you hear, you hear the coaches. Uh, from Brendan Moore on down, you hear all his coaches just raving about the play that Jacob Slavin makes, may, the plays that he makes uh, in a game that may go unnoticed. And uh, that started when he was in college. I know that uh, one of the scouts went to see him play. And I think uh, he said he was after the first or second period, he was Jacob Slavin was minus four and said he was the best player on the ice. I mean, he couldn't obviously he couldn't undo all the mistakes his teammates were making. But there there are times in the NHL where it almost seems like he's doing the same kind of things. Where you might look at his score sheet after the game, and he might be uh, dash one dash two, and he's had a hell of a game. So I mean, he's just that good and that
0: kind of that kind of player. That's wild, and it's it's wild to realize he was drafted way back in 2012, like uh, eight years ago now, in the fourth round. And yeah, now he's turning into one of the best defensemen on the team. So good for him. And, but, like, in, looking at next year offensively, do you think that he can be a half point per game guy again, or was that just a kind of a fluke thing because Hamilton was hurt?
1: He possibly can. A lot would depend on, uh, and, and we don't know how the power play units are going to shake out. We don't know if, it, like, a, will they look to re sign Sammy Vatanen or not? My guess would be no. Uh, does that mean that uh, Jacob Slavin might get power play time next year? We don't know. He has in the past. Uh, can he develop into that kind of guy? uh be a quarterback of a power player will they stick with a Jake Gardner to go with Dougie Hamilton on the top unit we don't know so uh but once again I, I think he's gotten I think Jacob has gotten more uh confident and comfortable in his offensive abilities and jumping into plays certainly he's made some really nice offensive plays uh a 40 point guy I can see that I can see that happening next year
0: Yeah, and I guess you brought up Jake Gardner. So we have Jacob and now we have Jake. What happened with Gardner this year? He went from being a 21 plus minute guy on the Leafs, always good for at least 40 points. And this year, he only played around 16 minutes and 40 seconds on average per game. So he wasn't used very much. And obviously the points reflected that. Is this what we should expect from Jake Gardner moving forward? Is he not as good as we thought he was when he was on the Leafs?
1: Well, another guy that's got a few miles under him now, and I'm not sure. Uh, that's He's a big question mark going into next year for me. Uh, you know, Jake, I think, got off to a slow start at Carolina. I think uh, certainly coming in a little bit later than most of the guys. And uh, I just felt like the comfort level wasn't quite there with Brendan Moore's system and the things that are being asked of him. I think he felt uh, a little bit of the pressure of getting a new contract, trying to prove himself to his teammates. Um certainly had an up and down season. Uh, there were times when he had stretches of games where he looked like that kind of guy that he was in Toronto and very promising up and coming defenseman. And there were times where he had a rough stretches where he, where he really struggled and the mistakes he made on the ice were really glaring and really hurt the hurricane. So, you know, maybe with a year under his belt now and feeling more comfortable with the setting, I mean, Carolina is not Toronto. I mean, the, as everybody knows, I mean, it's, the the media scrutiny is not the same. And sometimes media scrutiny can be really, really good in terms of keeping you on your toes. And I'm not saying that's what happened to Jake Gardner, but at the same time, uh, it was was a different uh, type culture, type city, the whole thing setting, and he had to get used to it. And I, I think now with the year under his belt, as I said, I think that he'll go into this season feeling a lot better about himself and his role on the team than he was last year.
0: Right, yeah, I guess we could throw him in the list of players along with like Niederreiter and Dzingle and Chocek, like players who used to be better, and now they're on Carolina not playing as well. But if any of them, if, if a couple of them could all of a sudden get back to what they were like before, then that would be a huge bonus for the Hurricanes, who are already such a great team. I think you're
1: right. I mean, they they would love for Jay Gardner to have a bounce back year next year and and, sh- and certainly show the consistency that they'd like to see out of him, you know, and on, only not just game-to-game basis, but week-to-week, really put together really solid stretches of play.
0: Right, yeah. So, okay, I guess I want to end the interview. This has been awesome. We've covered like everyone I wanted to talk about, except for I guess at this point, we had some questions about prospects. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to get your takes on some of these players who haven't played on the team much yet, or maybe not at all. And I want to start with the Canes first round pick in 2019, 28th overall, Ryan Suzuki. Uh, So the now 19 year old Suzuki had himself a nice season in the OHL this past year over a point per game with both Barry and Saginaw got to imagine the Canes are happy with what they saw from him. And is there any chance we could see Ryan contribute like his older brother Nick did for the Habs this year, once he makes it to the big club?
1: If he contributes like Nick did, they'd be awfully happy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I'm not quite sure with Ryan, you know, he had a pretty serious injury last year, I think uh, with a high injury type thing. And, uh, but once again, put together a pretty solid year. Uh, they did invite him uh, into camp in the, in the, You know, the truncated camp that they had before going to Toronto, he was there. He got a little bit of time on the ice with some of the guys. I think that was a little bit of a surprise to see him invited there. They knew they weren't going to take him to Toronto, but they brought him in. Thought it'd be good for him. And so, once again, he's the kind of guy that a lot of eyes are going to be on in training camp, Uh, and and a lot depends with him probably on the moves that are made in, uh, you know, around free agency. Uh, Do they trade away a couple of guys? You know, just to throw out a name or two, and I'm not saying these guys will be traded, but what happens if they trade a guy like a Brock McGinn? Uh, Is is Ryan Suzuki the kind of guy that could come in and fill that kind of role or get that kind of opportunity? I don't know. Uh, And certainly another guy to keep an eye on there is Morgan Geeky who came in late just before the pause and played awfully well, and there's another forward slot that's probably going to be taken. So, And certainly he's a centerman, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, Ryan will get a good look in, in a training camp. It's just a matter of him taking advantage of it.
0: Right, yeah. I guess Geeky's a little older. He, he's 22. He had those three games at the end of the season. or sorry, two games where he scored three goals against Pittsburgh and Detroit. And then come the playoffs, he did play in eight of the games, which are all eight games. And he had an assist. Obviously, he didn't play many big minutes. So he's someone I'll be curious to see for next year. And then I guess another big name that I have to bring up is 22 year old defenseman Jake Bean, who just put up a fantastic season with Charlotte of the AHL 48 points in 59 games. He led the whole team in points as a defenseman. Is it time for Jake Bean to come up? Like, has he paid his dues enough in the AHL? Now he's ready to jump to the Hurricanes full time? Because he's definitely someone to consider if he will, like, along with this conversation of Slavin and Hamilton and who might get this extra power play time. And if they re sign Sammy Vatanen, I guess Jake Bean would be a reason not to re sign Sammy Vatanen.
1: I think you're right. I think this may be his year, Uh, certainly coming off of, as you said, a tremendous year in Charlotte. I think he was the outstanding defenseman in the AHL, named that. Uh, He's put on weight. You know, he was a real lean, stringy kind of player when they first drafted him. Uh, Certainly put on a little muscle. Not a big guy by any means, but uh, he can handle himself on the power play. Uh, He could probably be a third-pairing defenseman. He's probably ready for that kind of work now. A lot depends on what they do with, like, a Trevor Van and another UFA uh, who they may not uh, re-sign. Vatnin is another one. Depends on what the, uh, what the decor looks like when uh, the shakedown comes in free agency. And uh, But I think Jake Bean is probably ready now. Uh, there were times when they brought him up, or uh, he was in training camp, where you could just look at him on the ice and just say, this kid's not ready yet. And Charlotte is the right place for him, the HL. But he's paid his dues there. He's improved every year. The coaches like him. And uh, I think he's going to get the opportunity this year to show that he can play in the NHL. So uh, in terms of what kind of numbers he can put up, a lot would depend on whether he can work his way into a power play unit or not, probably. But uh, certainly a very promising player. Uh, And I'm not sure if you're going to bring this name up, but let me throw another one at you. Please. Uh, Dominic Bach. Uh, Yeah, he was my next one. (laughs) Okay. All right. They're, they're really excited about this young man and uh, certainly played really well in the world juniors, uh, picked up in that trade with uh, St. Louis, the Edmondson, brought Edmondson and Bach to uh, Carolina. And uh, they really feel like he has the potential of helping a good player. They'd like to get him to North America. I'm sure they'd like to get him on their AHL team, which this year will be in Chicago uh, and take a good look at him, bring him into camp, those kind of things. But, Everything I hear about Dominic Bach has been really good, but uh, certainly with Jake Bean more of a known quantity, Dominic Bach'll have to be the kind of guy who comes in and shows what he can do.
0: Yeah, well, like you said, they did trade for him. That was where they sent Justin Falk to St. Louis. So I'm very curious to see what he'll be able to do. Man, this Hurricanes team, we've talked about so many great players. Plus, they have all these prospects coming up. And by the way, knowing uh, the way Dougie Hamilton's career has gone, I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Bean comes in and, and bumps Hamilton from the top power play, just because that seems to always happen.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I didn't say that.
0: <laughs> no, it, I know. I'm not, just kidding. not knocking Dougie
1: Hamilton off the top power play. unit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If TJ Brody was able to do it, then I feel like... Jake Bean should be able to. Uh, So, yeah, this has been awesome. We've covered everyone. Uh, Time has flown by. I guess one final question that we've been asking to all of the beat writers who have been so kind to come on. If you could pick one hurricane that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season, someone who maybe isn't really high up on people's radars, and then he's going to jump out and do much better than expected. And then on the other side, could you pick one hurricane that you think will be the biggest disappointment, someone that people are maybe a bit too high on right now?
1: Wow, that's a good question. Uh, and harder probably on the on the back end than it is on the front end you know uh looking at a guy that might be a big surprise and I don't know how big a surprise it would be if a Vincent Trocheck had a really solid season for him mm. and maybe showed the kind of form he did in Florida uh it'd be easy for me to sit here and say Morgan geeky because once again a young guy you just don't know what he's going to do next year uh but if Vincent Trocheck could be a really solid You know, number two centerman, that would be exactly what the Hurricanes need next year. In terms of uh, maybe being a disappointment next year, that's a good question. Uh, Running down the players in my mind, uh, it could be somebody like a Martin Natchez where he has a lot of expectations, but his numbers might be very similar to what he had this year. That would probably be up to you to decide if that would be a disappointment or not. I know they're expecting better numbers, But uh, then again, it might be very similar. So um, with the weight of those expectations, maybe, you know, that could happen to him. But uh, I didn't say he's going to be a disappointment because I think there's too much upside for him.
0: Right, yeah. Maybe it's if people are thinking that he's going to have a Sveshnikov-like bump in his second year, then maybe he's not going to be able to reach that level. So it depends what people's thoughts are going into the Mm -hmm. season. Exactly. Okay, well, Chip, this has been amazing. Again, like, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to tell people to check out? Obviously, people should be following you at Ice underscore Chip on Twitter, and we'll link to that in our show notes. But yeah, anything uh, you want our listeners to look at?
1: No, I think all of us are just hoping that uh, next season will be a lot calmer, a lot more normal, that we can get this thing off the ground on schedule. Uh, get fans back in the buildings again, you know, come up with some kind of vaccine for the virus that works, get back more to our normal lives and and see hockey the way that we've all expected to see hockey, which was with a lot of people in the stands, especially in the playoffs. I mean, the whole atmosphere of the fans is really what makes the playoffs to me. And uh, I think it's been great that the NHL has been able to pull us off in the bubble system. But uh, I think all of us are just hoping for normal lives in a normal season.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully that'll come sooner rather than later. Oh, by the way, I should ask, do you have a pick for who's going to win the cup this year between Tampa and Dallas, now that we know what the finals is going to be? The way they've played
1: and what I've seen, I'm going to go with the Dallas Stars. Um, And I know, uh, you know, some people might be expecting Anton Udobin's bubble to maybe burst a little bit, but he has shown that he can handle the the job in net. And a lot of those veterans uh, guys on the Dallas Stars are really driving that team. I know Tampa... On paper, it's probably got a better team, but there just seems to be something about this Dallas Stars team that makes me believe they're going to win the whole thing.
0: I mean, I can't argue with you because I would have thought that Colorado and Vegas on paper were better than this Dallas team and they, they took care of them. So why can't they take care of Tampa Bay? I totally forgot Anton Hudobin used to be on Carolina. I remember my co-host Brian was tearing his hair out. He thought that Hudobin was going to take over for Cam Ward to become the starting goalie and he wasn't able to usurp Ward for that role. Uh, so nice to see Hudobin, I don't know if I should say finally, because he's been good for a couple years now in Dallas, but really like stepping into the spotlight now.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting to watch his career. It's certainly... You know, he's had success in his career and he's shown in stretches he can be really, really good. And that's what he's doing now. So uh, can he do it uh, throughout the Stanley Cup final? We're going to find out. It's going to be a very interesting series, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again so much, Chip, for coming on. Uh, I think people are really going to enjoy this interview. So have a great rest of your day. And yeah, just thanks again. This was great. Okay, thank you. Thanks for asking. All right, thank you so much again to Chip Alexander for coming on and giving us that awesome interview about the Carolina Hurricanes. Plus, I don't know if you caught it, but we recorded that interview Saturday afternoon before Game 1 of the playoffs, and uh, so far, his prediction of Dallas winning the Cup is looking pretty good. You know, obviously, Tampa Bay seems like the favorite based on their regular season records, but... I mean, now that Dallas has beaten Colorado, they've beaten Vegas, and uh, now they had a nice low-scoring game versus Tampa, so they seem to be this team that has the ability to be chameleons, and they like play high-scoring games versus Colorado, now they play low-scoring games versus Vegas and Tampa, it's hard to bet against them. Obviously, it's easy for me to say now that they've already won game one and watch them now go and lose the next four, but I like Dallas's chances of continuing what they're doing and winning the cup. They've been unbeatable.
2: They just keep shutting down teams. Like, you mentioned Colorado and Vegas, and this just happened, but having the reminders is like, whoa, uh, two of the most offensively talented. And, like, Vegas is a super balanced team with having that offensive upside, too. Shutting them down, and now they're on to Tampa, who is the most Colorado and Vegas team of the East. Uh, We'll see if they can go three for three. Uh, But uh, yeah, so Chip's prediction is exciting. I was about to call it bold, but at this point, it's hard to say it's bold based on the way we've seen Dallas play. So we'll see if it plays out for Chip and for you in the Keeping Carlson playoff pool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't actually even need... Dallas to win the cup, right? Uh, I just need Kucherov and my Dallas players to do well, and I think it's going to work out well. Uh, But okay, Brian, no one cares about that. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed the show. We enjoyed putting it on for you. Uh, We'd love to hear feedback from you, so you could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We always love to hear from the listeners. uh uh, if you're interested in joining our patron community we're having a lot of fun uh we started a discord channel we're chatting all the time brian and i was there we're still also on the facebook group if you want to chat there so check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron you can sign up as a patron for just a buck and uh we'll give you all we got okay we're gonna do the best we can to make you feel like it was a worthwhile investment
2: you're such an old man elon we started a discord server and on the server are many channels We didn't just start one channel
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of channels In fact, uh, sometimes I'm not sure where to put a certain (laughs) conversation You could join the discard server right now While it's still in its infancy And help us decide what to name all the different channels We have a suggestions channel Where we discuss important things like this Uh, But okay, Brian, I think with that We're ready to let people go home So let's cue the outro music And you can go ahead and repeat us the credits
2: (laughs) What if they're already at home?
0: Well, they could leave and go home Mentally we call
2: it a night. Okay, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Uh, thanks again to Chip Alexander for joining us. Uh, logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Prism pool, Dauber Prospects, natural stat trick, evolving hockey, cap friendly charting hockey, hockey reference, hockey stats, hockey database, elite prospects, and Roto World. And we'll give Fantrax a shout out for hosting
0: the KKPP. Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all again with you next week. Until then, remember,
2: fantasy hockey is for everyone.